0: Hey, I'm Pastor Steve Holt. I want to empower you today to walk in your true identity as a worshiper and warrior. Today, embrace the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the Born for War podcast. I want to begin with a dream that I had on March 19th. I was in in Florida and we were with Anna. Anna had her baby. The baby was uh, a one-month preemie, so right when the baby, it's kind of cool how it worked out. Liz prayed, felt like she had a date to go and help Anna, and that, that day, which she had to do it like a month before, was the exact day when the baby came home, and so it was really fun. Anyway, on March 19th, I joined up with her a week later. We were in Florida, had a dream. And in the dream, I was on my property, I live in Black Forest, and um, it's a very wooded property on six and a half acres, and I was walking uh, from the west side of my property to the east side through the woods, when suddenly there was, there was a river coming out of the ground over on the, the center part of my property, and it was, it was ripping, man. It was like a fast-moving stream going from the west to the east. And then I noticed right then that there was also a river just as big, about this wide, just flowing that green, blue, crystal clear water from the west to the east. And then another one was coming from the north to the south. And they came and they intersected. And this flow was beautiful. I remember thinking in my dream, like, I need a fly rod. It was just, it was gorgeous, you know. And I'm I'm looking at this. And then I look to my right and there's a cave. The the hill goes up, and you you wouldn't know this unless you've been on my property. But there's this one part where it slopes down. It comes up, and in that slope was a cave. And I looked into the cave, and there were bars. There were like jailhouse bars in that cave in the entranceway, and then there was a door, and it was a jailhouse door, and uh, and it looked really spooky down there. And I remember thinking like, there's I remember thinking in my mind like there's goblins in there. You know, is that kind of I mean, I never think about goblins, but I, I just remembered that. that was, I remember thinking that in my dream. But I went in. So I went in to the cave. I knew that I was supposed to go in the cave. So I go in the cave. I open the door. And when I open the door, I'm suddenly in a cavern. And the cavern's about the size of half of this stage. And there were these cave shelves, like natural shelves. that were around. And there were photographs of families in there. And there, were, uh, and there were banners, like ribbons on the sides of the pictures. And it was like whole families uh, in this, these pictures. And I remember knowing that these represented families in Czechoslovakia, Bulgaria, and Hungary. And beside the pictures of families, like family reunion-like looking pictures, there was religious artifacts. So there was crucifixes and there were like necklaces and things like that that people had worn. There were prayer beads. There was, um, there was rosaries, things like that hanging off of it. And I remember feeling confined and feeling sort of burdened, feeling a burden on me. And then I look over and there's a ski slope. <laughs> I know this is weird. Okay, go, go with me on this, okay? So And, and now I've got skis on. And I get on the slope, and I ski out, just woof, 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 ski right out, okay? And I, um, and I woke up. So whenever I feel like I've got something that's a dream or a vision from the Lord, I always ask Liz what she thinks it means before I tell her what I think it means. So I asked her, and this was our conclusion almost immediately, our interpretation, was that the streams represent the Word and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit stream and the Word of God stream coming together. That that's a hallmark of my ministry. It's a hallmark of the road. If you cut me, I bleed Word and Spirit. That, that's part of my vineyard background and my Bible church background. So you're going to come to the road, and it's weird. we're a weird church because, you know, in one sense I teach... Like you're in a sort of a fundamentalist Baptist church in the sense that I go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because I love God's Word so much, but we're also open to spirit, and we see people get healed all the time. And By the way, recently, tons of people have been getting healed. It's like crazy. Um, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cast out demons regularly. I mean, we don't make a big show of it, but we do, okay? There's a lot more demons getting cast out here than you know. And some of you are packing some growlers too, and God's... <laughs> And God's going to set you free, okay? So, word and spirit. Then, the cave, the cave represents religion. The confines of religion. And, you know, when we think about the communist eastern bloc countries, you that are old enough to remember that and know that, that was, it was very religious. It was very Catholic. It was very eastern orthodox. Very, very much a religious area, which, by the way, was very Fruitful and joyful in many ways. I mean, you could argue that the Iron Curtain coming down was because of the fired-up Roman Catholic Church in Poland, I mean, with uh, Walenza and the Solidarity Movement. So I'm not saying this all in one broad stroke, but what the dream meant was religion, kind of the confines of tradition and religion. And then God was speaking to me about me, and that, that's, why, that's why I skied out was because I've come out of a religious background. I'm a word and spirit guy now, and I'm free. It was was a work of the Lord to say, you're free now. You're out of that. So when I knew that in a month, month and a half, we were going to be having the worship conference, one of the goals that I had in Florida, besides helping my daughter and her husband, was to take time to really get get an idea Get at least the basic ideas of the message I was supposed to give at the worship conference we just had the last three days and I knew immediately from that dream what I was supposed to speak on and that's what I'm going to speak to you guys about because I spoke at the worship conference and I was lazy and I didn't want to do two messages for the weekend no that's not true I really felt strongly that what I shared on on Friday afternoon I needed to share with you guys to the broader um, church because I haven't spoken on this before so I want to call this being a true worshiper. So that's the title of it. We're going to leave Romans for a couple of weeks here, because next week's Mother's Day, but uh, then we'll get back to Romans. But true, the true worshiper. Now here's what's interesting about the passage we're going to look at. It's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus literally defines what worship is. I mean, a, you, we, we, I remember growing up in the 80s as a new believer. I didn't know it, but there were worship wars going on. You know, there were the hymn-singing churches. There were the contemporary churches. There were the antiphonal reading churches and liturgical churches and high church churches. And then there was the low church churches where it was guitars and banjos and and piano and stuff. And everybody's battling over it. Praise God, most of that's gone now. And we've we've kind of synthesized our worship. But here's what's interesting. When Jesus talks about worship... He never talks about singing. He never talks about style. And he never talks about performance. Jesus is, something, is, is interested in something much deeper than that. And what's interesting is the lead up to what he's going to say about true worship is this bizarre woman. This bizarre woman who is, the, I argue, the first evangelist in the New Testament. And I have spoken at Jacob's Well to a tour group that I led in 2008 to Israel on this passage. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. And I'm just going to warn you, you're going to need to take notes because I got a lot of points. So I thought in the first service, okay, this is going to be a part one and a part two. But I did it. I did it in 35 minutes. So I I want you to write at the title. I want you to write eight observations of true worship. Eight observations of true worship. Another way you could define it, if you were to give it two different definitions, you could say true worship leading to revival. True worship that leads to revival because that's what happens in this story. So let's look at John 4, verse 5. He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria, circle that. If if you've got a pen and you've got a physical Bible in front of you, you, I want you to circle. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Underline that. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Here's the first point. The first point is that Jesus is thirsty. Number one, Jesus is thirsty. He engages this woman from Samaria. Now, here's who the Samaritans were. The Samaritans were these half-breed Jews that had settled in around 721 BC when the Assyrians came over and took the northern kingdom. Some of the Jews did not leave. They did not escape, and they intermarried with the Samarians or the Assyrians, and they became known as Samaritans. Now, what makes them a problem for Israel as a whole was that they developed their own Bible, their own separate Bible, and their own separate temple as a place of worship. So, So for Jesus, first of all, to engage with this woman is a problem, and then to engage with a Samaritan woman is a double problem, but here's the deal. He says, give me a drink. And why is that important? It's important on two fronts. First front is this, that Jesus initiates with us in the arena of worship. He initiates with us. So he said to her, she didn't say anything to him. He initiates with her, and he says, give me a drink. Every time you come to the road to our services, the Lord would say, are you ready to engage in worship? I'm initiating with you to come. And you initiated with him by coming. I mean, you came here on your way from your home, arguing with your spouse the whole time, which is a national tradition. And then you came in, you got coffee, you got a little bit calmed down, and now you have to listen to this guy from Georgia. Okay. Now listen. Now listen to what he said. He says, give me a drink. I'm thirsty. He's telling her that she has to do something. Church, you have to do something. You have to determine that you're going to give Jesus a drink offering. He's thirsty for your worship. He's thirsty for interaction. And this is the main point. The main point here is that Jesus is initiating a relationship with her. That's the point of worship. Let me give you a definition of worship. Here's what I think the definition of worship is for, for Steve Holt. I think the Bible teaches that the definition of worship is focusing on Jesus. It has nothing to do with the songs you sing. It has nothing to do with how great your voice is. It has nothing to do with you know, like traditional hymns or contemporary works. It has nothing to do with style. It has everything to do with focusing on Jesus. And the reason that's important is because you can focus on Jesus at work. You can focus on Jesus in your relationship with your spouse. You can focus on Jesus by being single. You can focus on Jesus by being a college student and worship Him. When you do the right thing, that's worship. Because you're focused on Jesus. You're doing it for His glory. You're obeying Him. Okay? So that's my first point. Jesus is thirsty for us. He's thirsty for your worship. And he's thirsty for a relationship with you. Number two, verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then Jesus said to her, If you only knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Number two, listen, guys, it's important. Jesus builds bridges to your heart. Jesus doesn't care about your cultural background. He doesn't care about your gender. He doesn't care about your brokenness. He doesn't care about your religion. Couldn't care less. He cares about your heart. And it's interesting, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus ever engage a Pharisee or a Sadducee this way. He engages a Samaritan woman. He breaks cultural barriers. He breaks religious barriers to get to her heart, and that's what the Lord wants. He wants your heart. He wants a relationship with you by you allowing him to come in with his living water into your heart. He doesn't care if you're Catholic. He doesn't care if you're New Age. He doesn't care if you're a a, a Gnostic mystic. He doesn't care if you've been baptized as an infant baptized an adult, never baptized, baptized drunk. He's going after your heart. He's coming after your heart, and he loves you, and he's for you, and he initiates for your heart, and he cares about you. I mean, he doesn't care. All those things, you say, well, I'm not good enough to be a, a Christian. I'm not good enough to follow Jesus. Yep, that's true. You're not good enough, but you can certainly be bad enough. Just admit that you're bad. Just admit that you haven't reached it. Just admit that you're not there yet. Man, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of power. That's the beginning of a personal, intimate, powerful relationship with the living God. And So Jesus engages her. He doesn't he didn't, he didn't answer any of her questions. He doesn't even care what she says. Like, he does not give a rip. And we're going to find out there's actually another big barrier that's going on here. It's going to come up later. He knows what's going on. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, he said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Now, men and women, this is really important. I want you to circle Jacob. I want you to circle Jacob. That's really important here. Why is that important? Man, I love this part. Here, Jesus is the only one that quenches our thirst. Jesus is the only one. That's number three. Jesus is the only one that quenches our thirst. Religion can't do it. And I remember I was reading this for like the fifth or sixth time, preparing to give this message. And I'm reading and I'm going, whoa, this is a good point. I took notes on myself. Okay. He's standing next to Jacob's well. And he says, drink from me, not that. You can drink from that, but you're going to keep getting thirsty. Or you can drink from me, and I'll quench your thirst. That's religion, man. The religion is Jacob's well. It's structured. It's round. It's got the pulley system. It's got the bucket. It tells you everything you're supposed to do to get water. It, the only thing it doesn't do is quench your thirst. You see, religion is like eating bread when you're thirsty. And so God, what Jesus wants, he wants us to drink from him. That's why worship and where he's going with this is that it's all about drinking from me. I'm the source you're looking for. I'm the forgiveness of sins. I'm the power to live a victorious life. I'm the one who gives you an abundant life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I can that you might have a life and might have it abundantly. That abundant, vibrant, dynamic life never ends. It continues year after year after year, relationship after relationship, even with mistakes. It's always two steps forward or three steps forward and one step back. It's hard. It's difficult. Like I said in that last message where I said, you know, life is hard. Pick your heart. I would rather pick my heart with Jesus than pick my heart with Jacob's well. I would rather drink from him than keep lowering buckets down in the water every day with Fotini. And that's her name, by the way. In the Orthodox Church, the woman at the well is known as Fotini. P-H-O-T-I-N-I. Tradition tells us that was her name. So Fotini is at the well. Jesus says, drink from me. Verse 14. But whoever drinks of this water, I shall give them. Will never thirst. Number four, the Holy Spirit is the fountainhead. The Holy Spirit is the fountainhead. That's the only place where living water comes forth. It comes forth from the triune God—Father, Son, Holy Spirit—poured into you when you become a believer. When you put your faith in Christ, the fountainhead of the Spirit comes into your life. Now listen. Probably about a month or two later in Jesus' life, he goes to Jerusalem. And he comes to Jerusalem at the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles. Now pick it up. It's going to be up on your screen. Write down John 7, 37 through 39. You can look at it later, but it's going to be up on the screen. Listen to what happens. On the last day of that great day of the Feast, that's the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. So, at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would take a golden pitcher. And they would go to the Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem, and they would scoop up the water. They would go then, a big processional. Everybody's worshiping and praising God, singing songs, songs of ascent. And they're coming up there, and then they would pour it out at the temple as a drink offering to the Lord several times during that day. And that was a picture of Exodus 17. Write that down. Write down, Exodus 17. You can look it up later. Exodus 17 is where the water came out of the rock where Moses spoke to the rock, and the water came out of the rock. That's what they're celebrating. But it was a picture, guys. It was a prophetic picture of the fountainhead of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon Israel. And God's now pouring it out, and he's saying right here, look, I am. you're going to drink from me. The Spirit's going to come into your life. I am the fountainhead. And church, this is really important. Don't miss this. You receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. If you have not put a personal faith in Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have your spirit, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not born again yet. There are no grandchildren in the Christian faith. Just because your mom was a Christian doesn't mean anything. Just because your uncle was a Christian, just because your, your aunt and your, and your girlfriend or your boyfriend are Christians, that it will not make you a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian anymore than going to McDonald's is going to turn you into a hamburger. And so, and so the reality is, is that you have to put your faith in Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. You get the fountainhead of life, joy, power, presence. Forgiveness, the ability to love your neighbor as yourself, that, that, all the other stuff sounds really good, but when you say love my neighbor as myself, I don't want to go there. <laughs> love your enemies, how in the world do you do that? Well, you can't. But Christ, through the Spirit flowing through you, you can. So he's saying there's this fountainhead flowing out, and I'm going to call it a spirit river. It's a spirit river that flows out of the rock into our lives. That leads into now the complicated part of our passage. This is where they really get into a dialogue. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you have truly spoken. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Write this down, number five. Jesus initiates the shameful and the broken. Jesus initiates to the shameful and the broken. Imagine this. Here is a Samaritan. That's a religious barrier. She's a woman. That's a gender barrier. And now he's calling her out as immoral. That's a moral barrier. Jesus doesn't care about your background. Jesus doesn't care whether you're religious or non-religious, you're a drunk, you're a drug addict, you're messing around and you got shame because of all the stuff that's happened to you. What he cares about is if you'll come to him, he'll start to clean you up from the inside out. That's what he does. And matter of fact, he does his best work with the most broken people. So if you think you're broken, man, you are set up, you're going to be a trophy of God's grace. You're going to be a trophy of God's grace. And for you that don't come out of that background, rejoice because you don't have as many scars as the rest of us. But he comes to her. Now listen, this is really good. I got a really good one here. Okay. This is another one. I was like I was meditating. I was like, oh, that's good. Okay, Feast of Tabernacles. Remember what I said? What was it? It was Exodus 17. Remember what happened at Exodus 17? Is that he, he commanded that water to come forth from what? It wasn't from a spring, it wasn't from a river, it wasn't from a lake, it was from a rock. Why is that significant? Because that's the heart of most of us when we come to Christ. We have a stony heart and he's going to pour forth his spirit through your stony heart. He's going to take the rocks of your shame and the rocks of the sin that you come out of, and he's going to make water come out of that. That's good, right? Because, because you, that fountainhead, the fountainhead of the Spirit. Go back to verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Now listen to this. You can't be spirit spilled until you're spirit filled. When you, the, the purpose of getting spirit filled is not so you can enjoy God. The purpose of being spirit filled is that the fountainhead that you become, that fountainhead to others, and you become spirit spilled. And we're going to find out this woman's got it. She really gets it. She's the first evangelist in the Bible. She's the first evangelist in the New Testament. And so, and so come with your stony heart today. Come with your unforgiveness. Come with your brokenness. Come with your anger. Come with your bitterness. Come with the betrayal you've been through. Come. Give your stones to the Lord and watch what he will do to transform that stone into a stone where a fountainhead of the Spirit comes forth. Is that exciting or what? I mean, you guys, come on. This is good stuff. The world can't do this. Psychology can't do this. Sociology can't do this. Politics can't do this. Only Jesus can do this. Jesus can change a person's life. Jesus can change culture. Jesus changes people one person at a time. Through the fountainhead of his spirit bubbling up in our hearts and in our lives. Come on. 21. Jesus said to a woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now listen, to this, this is a key part here. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. Number six, God is seeking for true worshipers. God's actually on the hunt for true worshipers. Worshippers. That's why God said to Samuel, Quit bemoaning the fact, quit complaining about Saul as our king. I've raised up a man after my own heart who's in Bethlehem, who's a true worshiper. That's why I wrote the book, Worshipper Warrior. He was a true worshiper before he was a warrior. And so Samuel goes there. He comes to Jesse's house. He says, I want to anoint your son. I'm, so I'm here to anoint him. And he didn't even bring him in. Jesse forgets about David. And he goes, well, and, and, you know, and Samuel, being a normal guy, he looks at it he goes, well, it must be you know, Eliab. It must be the oldest because he's tall and good-looking, kind of like Saul. And he says, no, I don't look at his appearance. I, I have a man that is not of that appearance, who I'm looking at his heart. And he says, so he says to Jesse, who is he? He says, well, there is one more. It's the last born. It's David. So David is probably between 13 and 15 years old, somewhere in there. He comes in and he anoints him. God is seeking worshipers. I said to my daughter when I was praying for her recently, you just keep worshiping your heart out up in your room. You just keep worshiping, worshiping, worshiping on the roof of our house. She goes out the window. I don't know if I'm totally in favor of all that, but (laughs) there's a long line of Holtz that did this, and nobody's fallen off yet. But, you know, she goes out, and and you'll hear her. She's worshiping out there on the roof, you know, on a nice day. And I said, you're not going to miss your calling. You're not going to miss your destiny if you're a true worshiper, because God will seek you out, and God always finds what he's looking for. Hello? I mean, you may miss what you're looking for, but he doesn't miss what he's looking for. And as you become a true worshiper, you say, well, I don't know God's will. I don't know if God wants me in this job or that job. Become a worshiper. Become a true worshiper. Focus on Jesus. You start getting his attention. I mean, you already have his attention, but it really gets his attention. I means what he says. And he says, I'm looking for people like that. And I find them. And then I open doors that no man can shut to get them from A to B to C to D to E. And so I just quit complaining and start worshiping. Become a true worshiper and God will seek you out and he'll find you. And then he says this. He says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I want you to circle spirit and truth want you to note in verse 24, spirit is capitalized. It's, he's talking about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pneuma is the Greek word here. But also, must worship in spirit, small s, is also pneuma. That's our spirit. So first thing is that, and, and, and my point here, is that we worship in spirit and truth. But in worshiping, you guys, in spirit and in truth... It's first of all, the Holy Spirit having access to your inner spirit. And this is really hard for guys. It's really hard for guys because we tend to have a closed spirit. And God would say to us open up your spirit to me, and women too. Open up your spirit to me. Let, let me have intimacy with you. That's the first way we worship. We focus on Jesus through spirit to spirit, heart to heart connection. If you open up your spirit to the Holy Spirit, that becomes intimacy. And with intimacy, we're transformed. So that's why it's always a mistake. And that's why religion, we tend to swing that pendulum of outward behavior. Oh, you got to get this changed. Or you need to get your act together on this or that. And I want to say, forget that. Focus on opening your spirit to his spirit, and then he'll start to transform you as you fall in love with him, and then the outward behavior will follow. Does that make sense? So it's spirit to spirit. But then he says, worship, true worship is spirit and what? And what? Truth. Truth. And so those two rivers in my dream, spirit, word, word, spirit, spirit, truth. Listen. You know what the context here is? The context is that he says to the Samaritan woman, look, you're worshiping in the wrong place. True worship is with the Jews, but then we know later that he talks about, especially Stephen when he's being stoned as the first Christian martyr, he says, God's not worshiped in temples made by men's hands. So it's a new day. And the new day is, you're not going to go to Jerusalem to worship. You're not going to go to Sakar. You're not going to go to Mount Gerizim. You're not going to go to Mount Zion. You are Mount Zion. You are the new Jerusalem. You are the new Jerusalem. You can worship anywhere you go. But listen, he's saying it because she's, she's worshiping incorrectly. So it is possible if you're not a man or a woman of God's word that you can be worshiping the wrong God. And this is important. The Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Bible. The other 37 books, man, they they didn't want to have anything to do with those books. You see? They were in error. And there are many people out there that are in error, and they are worshiping a false God. And that's why, church, it's so important we're in God's Word. you got to be in God's Word every day, memorizing it, studying it, knowing it. Look at Psalm 1. Look at Psalm 1 real quickly. I'm not going to put it up on the the PowerPoint. I want you to just, just turn to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. In the law, in the word, he meditates day and night. Look what it says. He shall be like a tree planted by what? The rivers of water. That's word and spirit, folks. And then it says, I love this part. He brings forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. You want the prosperity gospel? This is the prosperity gospel. Being in God's word, your heart connected to him, you will prosper. I'm not talking about the way the prosperity gospel guys talk about it. I'm talking about biblical prosperity, and that is an enlivened soul, a fired-up heart, a man who can think, and a woman that can think creatively, They can reach their full destiny because they're in alignment with the Spirit of God in their life. So Worship. It's not about the songs we sing. It's not about how, how well we can play an instrument. Worship is focusing on Jesus through the Word and the Spirit in combination in our lives. And then look what happens next in our story. Man, hello. This lady goes nuts. I mean, this is great. And I know I've run out of time. But I, I got to finish it up on here. Right? This, is like, this is like way too good. This is like way too good. So, look at 28. The woman then left her water pot. She went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this not be the Christ? then they went out of the city and they came to him. Jumped down to 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Number eight, worship brings revival. True worship brings revival, you guys. Because when you worship, you're getting the fountain. You're getting the fountain head and you're getting filled and then you get spirit spilled, And when you get spirit spilled, there's a lot of people that want it. And so you start telling them and then they get it and that's A kingdom of God revolution. That's pretty good, I think. I think that's pretty good news. So uh, so don't miss this. A Samaritan woman, an immoral Samaritan woman became the first evangelist of the New Testament. And history tells us, Christian history tells us that this was one of the first communities in this area of the church that got developed. Because of her. It's all known. It's because of the woman at the well. It's because of Fotini. That was her name. Tradition tells us her name was Fotini. P-H-O-T-I-N-I. Fotini brought the gospel. And, and this is, this is pre, pre-cross. This is pre-resurrection. She already sees this is the Messiah. Even before the disciples did. Man. This is a powerful story, man. So be a true worshiper. Thank you for listening to the Born for War podcast. We hope today's message has empowered you to make a difference in your world. To connect with Pastor Steve's sermons, books, and blog, visit steveholtonline.org. God bless.